It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch this season. Bengals fans are watching the growth and explosion of Joe Burrow and his confidence in a team that is struggling around him, and Pepsi is a refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. Because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football. Watching. You are Locked On Bengals, your daily Cincinnati Bengals podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm your host, Jake Lisko. James Rapine will be joining me a little bit later on in the show as he's down at Paul Brown Stadium covering the fallout from another game in which the Bengals snatch defeat from the jaws of victory, a game that we're going to look back on and talk about missed opportunities Talk about defensive issues, secondary issues, pass rush issues. And this is another hard one for Bengals fans to stomach. As always on Sundays, we're going to start with my initial thoughts on the game, some of the big themes, and then James will join me for segments two and three of the show to put this one to bed. The Cincinnati Bengals dropped their week seven matchup with the Cleveland Browns 37 to 34 in a game in which Joe Burrow finished 35 for 47 for 406 passing yards, had three passing touchdowns to go along with a rushing touchdown, 34 more rushing yards to add on to the docket, was sacked four times in the game. All of those in the first half, the Bengals lost three starting offensive linemen And despite all of that, despite all of that and Joe Mixon not playing, this team should have won this game on the strength of its offensive performance. The Bengals took a lead in this game with just over a minute to play. They were leading 34-31. to The Cleveland Browns had no timeouts and they scored on a really nice play. They utilized misdirection and motion with Giovanni Bernard and found him wide open sprinting to the right flat and got a touchdown. The downside and my immediate reaction was, well, it's great that they scored, but I wish Gio had been one inch short because the Bengals could have got a first down there and they could have bled another 30 seconds off the clock before trying to punch it in from the one inch line with three downs to spare. Instead, they kicked it away to the Cleveland Browns who got it back with, like I said, just over a minute left in the game. They had no timeouts and just marched their way down the field with coverage failure after coverage failure in man coverage the Browns picked on Darius Phillips who was covering Donovan Peoples-Jones for the game-winning touchdown who was covering Rashard Higgins for a big catch on a early down in the drive and Phillips could have made some plays there was one play where he failed to touch Higgins down in bounds that let him get out of bounds saving the Browns probably 10 seconds or more on the game clock. Then on the very last play of the offensive game for the Browns, the last defensive play for the Bengals, the touchdown pass 
the game winner, the ball passed about a foot above his helmet, between his arms, into the waiting hands of Donovan Peoples-Jones. And the Bengals lost this one in really the most frustrating way you could imagine. Joe Burrow had a little bit of a rocky start. He threw an interception that he probably should have thrown a touchdown pass to Tyler Boyd on. Didn't get it quite high enough to get over the second level defender, who in this case was Denzel Ward, who tipped the pass, which was then intercepted. He also had a strip sack fumble. He he lost when Miles Garrett came screaming off the, the right side of the defense, the left side of the Bengals offense. Jonah Williams cleanly beaten, and Joe Burrow just couldn't get rid of the ball fast enough before Miles Garrett could get his hand on the ball and knock it out. So two turnovers to start the game. One of those was gifted right back by Baker Mayfield's first pass of the game, an awful deep ball for Odell Beckham Jr., a play on which Odell Beckham Jr. was actually hurt. He didn't come back into the game after that. But that was a great play for Darius Phillips, who flashed late hands to take away the ball, got a good return, and the Bengals got on the board right away. So what do you point to when the Bengals lose a game 37-34? to Obviously, a lion's share of the blame goes to the defense. Yes, the offense had two early turnovers. Yeah, they settled for a couple field goals, including one from the four-yard line. And if they score a touchdown there instead... Well, maybe they win the game because Cody Parkey did miss the extra point with just a few seconds left in the game, which is why it was 37 to 34 and not 38 to 34. If the Bengals had managed a touchdown on that drive instead of a field goal, they would have finished with 38 points in the game, notwithstanding the butterfly effect of what might have gone differently had that happened. So it's a real question mark for Lou Anarumo's defense at this point. They could muster no pass rush in this game. And when Baker Mayfield started the game as bad as he did, he was able to settle in in the second half with play action passing with some boots. And then he was able to just drop back pass. They had identified the mismatches. They identified the ways they wanted to attack Luana Rumo's defense. And when you don't get pressure on a quarterback that struggles in straight drop back passing like Baker Mayfield has this season, then it's a recipe to get him to settle in and start delivering balls to open receivers. Credit to Mayfield, he had some great throws in this game, but the Bengals made it a lot easier for him by not really being able to generate consistent pressure. They got a couple late pressures on blitzes, but at that point, Baker was settled in and was playing well. The team needs to find answers in the pass rush. They obviously missed William Jackson today, but this sort of defensive effort, giving up 37 points, giving up effectively 22 straight completions, including a lot of downfield low percentage shots to Baker Mayfield and the Browns, is not acceptable and they have to make changes or this defense is just never going to shake the drama and put together a good game. Coming up next, James Rapine joins the program. There's a lot of good to talk about coming out of this game for the Cincinnati Bengals offense. We will touch on how good Joe Burrow was today. I think that needs to be a large part of the program. And then we have to talk about the way forward for this team. Because someone needs to be held accountable, and I'm just not sure who that is on the defensive side of the ball right now. If it's not Luana Rumo and this coaching staff, things need to get right in a hurry. All that coming up next on the Locked On Bengals podcast. Thanks to a lack of natural athleticism or commitment or overbearing sports parents, fewer than 1% of 1% of 1% of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they've joined another league, the League of Football Watchers. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch. And all of us are watching Joe Burrow as he blossoms into a franchise NFL quarterback before our eyes getting better week in 
and week out. And the defense has been a struggle, so Pepsi is a refreshment you need to power through any game day. Because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch it. Pepsi. Made for football. Watch it. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. We now welcome in co-host of the show, James Rapine, live from Paul Brown Stadium. We've done the post-game Zoom press conferences. And James, I told the good listeners of the Locked On Bengals podcast that we would get started with you on the show today talking about what went right for the Bengals offense. I I talked about it a little bit in the open. Joe Burrow goes 35 for 47 for over 400 yards, 8.6 yards per attempt. All four of his sacks came in the first half. And that's despite Jonah Williams, Trey Hopkins, and even Bobby Hart going out with injuries (laughs) at points in this game, the offensive line down to just one opening day starter at this point in left guard Michael Jordan. But despite all of that, and despite all of the the worry for Miles Garrett and the, the solid cornerback in Denzel Ward, Joe Burrow and this passing offense worked and worked well today. No doubt about it. Worked at a high level. And it was, it's funny because you think back to week two, Jake, and they were able to work but it felt like a grind and they were extremely inefficient when it came to the passing game. Well, on Sunday they were efficient and and they did exactly what you wanted to see this offense do. You know, did they settle for a field goal here or there when you were hoping they were going to get seven? Yeah, but I'm looking right here. They scored on their final five possessions, including two touchdowns in the game. Like they did what they were supposed to do. The Bengals had five leads today. That's because of the offense. And it wasn't enough, but you're right. They, they certainly did a lot of good, and I think anyone that was tuning in saw Joe Burrow and has to be encouraged by what he's doing. Uh, it, you know, in a, I, look, I get it. The, the Browns in Cleveland today, what are they talking about? Well, Baker Mayfield and their defense is bad, so I, I get it. It's not against the best defense on the planet, but he threw for 400-plus yards, and outside of a couple poor throws, including the interception, was awesome. And, and and so I, I think that you, you absolutely feel good about this offense. And mainly, it's not just Burrow, but think about the trio of wide receivers we're starting to see emerge and develop. Boyd, Higgins, Green, they're all three a part of the game plan. They're all three involved in the offense. It's not this struggle like it was earlier in the year to get Green the ball. It's coming. It's fluid. And uh, and you're, you're starting to see that come together for, for the first time this season. I think T. Higgins' emergence is a significant storyline. He gets just five targets, catches all five of those passes for 71 yards and a very impressive yards after catch touchdown. A.J. Green and Tyler Boyd have 13 targets apiece, and obviously some of A.J.'s were a little bit lower percentage, and so he didn't catch as many, but seven catches for A.J., 11 for Boyd. Boyd goes for 101 yards and a touchdown. Could have had two, 
Should have had that touchdown on the very first possession of the game where Joe Burrow doesn't get it high enough over Denzel Ward in the second level. And A.J. Green goes seven catches for 82 yards. And, hey, even Mike Thomas, he had a drop today, but he caught a deep ball for 29 yards, had two catches for 54 yards total. Drew Sample, I thought, had a really nice game, both as a blocker and as a receiver, has five catches for 52 yards, working into the screen game a little bit. So, really... Everything kind of clicking for this offense outside of just a few plays. The Joe Burrow interception, the Jonah Williams blown block that leads to the strip sack, Mm -hmm. and the play where Burrow and Green aren't on the same page on a back shoulder throw that should have been picked off. That's really my only complaint in this game. I thought even the running game, Gio only averaged 2.8 yards per carry, but I thought that he was relatively effective despite that average with without having offensive linemen and they're without Joe Mixon, Joe Burrow effective as a rusher. They got Geo involved in the passing game, five catches for fifty nine yards. So for a game where we were a little bit concerned there was no Joe Mixon, are they gonna get one dimensional? And then they lose three linemen. There were some issues with protection for sure and Joe Burrow was dealing with some bad pockets, but all things considered, I thought that the offense generally executed at a high level. I didn't take issue with any play calls live i think maybe one or two but i love the two consecutive qb sneaks at one point in the game the touchdown to geo uh late in the game was was fantastic they took a timeout when they saw the qb sneak wasn't there they got a play in uh i just i was pretty impressed with the offensive effort today and you make a point that you know in cleveland they're talking about how bad the cleveland defense is but i mean unquestionably better than the Bengals defense, in my opinion, when you still got Miles Garrett, who's a premier pass rusher, you still got Denzel Ward, who's one of the better corners in the NFL. And yeah, there are holes, but I don't think that these are apples to apples comparisons. They're not. And and that's the thing. I mean, they, those are the guys that made the plays. Yeah. Those are the guys that, that changed the game. And th- that's the thing here is at least offensively, it felt like the Bengals, and I, and I said this a lot about Zach. I, I've said, who is he maximized? Who is he made better? Right. Well, today it felt like he was starting to at least do that on offense. Right. I, I think he's getting in, in, in kind of transitioned into putting AJ Green in a position to succeed. You mentioned Drew Sample. He had a big week two game against this Browns team. Well, we saw it again today. He was involved. T. Higgins, he's starting to, to get a lot out of him regularly, week in, week out. It's something you can almost bank on. So I, I do. I think that that part of it is is certainly good to see. And and the other thing, and man, I got to give Burrow some credit. I mean, some of those runs, the, the, the diving for the first down run that he had, uh, his feel for the game, uh, you know, I, I talk a lot about or at least did talk a lot about before this season that you know the burrow baker rivalry i feel like it's going to be real after today i mean that was a hell of a game and, and it was two really good offenses and outside of the first quarter for baker quarterbacks just going right at each other back and forth back and forth and uh and, and hopefully that's the start of a, a really good rivalry and, and and like i said burrow was uh was great and i loved Love some of the, the ways he used his legs today. I thought that was a difference, uh, made a difference for sure on the offense. Calling his own number on that third and 11 draw play that you just mentioned was a very big play in this game. And that's the second time we've seen him do it this season. So I, I do like the way that Burrow composed himself in the pocket today. I mean, you could 
you could, if you're being picky, talk about, you know, have have a little bit more awareness that Miles Garrett is there. Get rid of the football. Mm-hmm. I, I don't sure. really blame him for that. Jonah was beat very cleanly, like one of the worst losses that Jonah Williams has had in pass protection this year, to be honest. And so that pressure got on Burrow a little faster than he expected it to. Certainly can say that he should have thrown a better ball on the early interception. But you're nitpicking, I think, at that point. He he hit some deep balls today in, in the 20-plus yard part of the field. Like you said, James, offense was efficient. And he he dealt with adversity in this mm-hmm. game. Like, he, he, he came back strong from the miscues early, and he dealt with some muddy pockets. And the issues I saw last week that I was watching for this week, like, how is that pocket awareness? Are you bailing pockets early? Are your legs, uh, are your feet splitting apart and, and your base breaking down when you sense some pressure and you become a runner instead of a passer? Didn't see any of that today. So that was really encouraging for me. Uh, I, I thought that it was just a really good game for the offense, and, and it's just really mm-hmm. disappointing when you get this and you get this result on the defensive side of the ball instead. But before we start talking about defense, because we have to talk about Carlos Dunlap's post-game antics, I guess at this point, and, and what looks like the end of his career in Cincinnati, or, or certainly could be, let's talk a little bit about what we can expect going forward on this offensive line. It looks like a significant injury for Bobby Hart, who by the time Trey Hopkins went out with a concussion and Jonah Williams went out with a neck injury, was the best remaining offensive lineman, arguably, that the Bengals had. All three of those guys could miss time, and I guess it's a good thing they've only got one more game before the bye week. Yeah, you're right about that. I didn't even think about the bye week aspect of things, but, man, they're just dropping like flies. and it's You're probably going to be without – Trey Hopkins and, and, you know, concussion, I would assume a one week turnaround, that's going to be tough, but you you know, you hope that he could be back by week 10, uh, which would be the week after the bye. But if you have to roll out Billy Price and you have to roll out Akeem Adeniji at at one tackle spot and Fred Johnson at another next week against Tennessee, that's, that's a lot to ask, man. And and that's the thing here is, you know, who knows what happens, you know, if they can bring anybody in. But that's probably the line you're rolling with right now, unless the, the neck injury isn't as serious as it appears, uh, unless Bobby Hart can somehow bounce back and be available. And we think that it's, you know, been scary for Joe up until this point. It can get much worse. And so um, the, the, I guess the one thing, and I don't think it really has an impact on next week, Quentin Spain reportedly going to visit the Bengals this week, so maybe they do get a little interior help. But he's not going to help the the spots that they have the the issues at right now. They didn't have a, a right guard go down or a left guard go down. These are these are the spots that you were kind of banking on holding the fort center with Trey Hopkins, left tackle with Jonah Williams, and we've talked about it on this podcast for all the grief Bobby Hart takes. He's the guy, uh, you know. He he hasn't been their biggest issue. By, by any stretch on, on the offensive line. So it's uh, three major losses. Like if you were looking at in order of priority, you would have said, what, Jonah Williams is the best, second best if you were ranking them, Trey Hopkins, and then third this year would have been Bobby Hart. Well, losing all three of those guys on one game, I mean, that's a that's a nightmare when you have a rookie quarterback and an offensive line that wasn't good to begin with. Yeah, that's the thing, right? Like the offensive line coming into the year, we don't think it's going to be very good. And now we're down to one of those guys still playing. 
And everybody that's clamoring to see Fred Johnson and clamoring to see Hakeem Adeniji get a chance and thinks that Billy Price needs to get his shot, well, now's the time for, for those individuals because they will all be forced into action. It looks very likely that all those guys are going to be the starters next week, given what we know right now about those injuries. Obviously, a lot can change, but things are looking bleak on the injury front. And things are looking bleak on the defensive front as well. And that's where we're going to go to finish the show today. Got to talk about Carlos Dunlap listing his house on Twitter and Instagram for sale. Tyler Boyd (laughs) and really several other team leaders calling it out. And it seems really like Carlos Dunlap, at least publicly, is, is the odd man out. But it's not just drama on defense. There are some serious talent and or schematic issues at play too so we'll get into what happened on the defense coming up next you know obviously Dunlap's unhappy right now Jake maybe he's just hungry and if so as you know and our loyal listeners know I think he should grab a built bar 18 amazing flavors I brought one with me today to Paul Brown Stadium because there's nothing like a first quarter snack or pre-game snack or in my case a post-game snack built bar is Great. They're the best protein bars on the flan- of the planet. They have 18 different flavors. So whether you love raspberry or German chocolate, maybe peanut butter, a cookies and cream, caramel brownie, they have something for everybody. And the best part about them, they're protein packed with low sugar. So you're going to hit your macros. It's not going to get in the way. This isn't some protein bar that's going to ruin your diet or anything like that. It's going to help it. You're going to get that summer bod with Built Bar. So Go to BuiltBar.com, use promo code LOCKEDON, you're going to get 20% off your next order. Again, use promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. The drama continued on Sunday as Carlos Dunlap, well, let's just say he wants out, Jake. If you weren't watching the end of the broadcast on CBS, obviously Dunlap heated talking at coaches and and some of his teammates. And look, it was clear Dunlap wasn't a big part of the defensive game plan on Sunday. And he probably thought he could have helped against that Browns uh, offense that went five plays, 75 yards in the final minute for the game winning score. But it's just, it's pretty clear right now, Jake, right? I mean, they're, they're reaching the point of no return because just minutes after that happens, Dunlap puts his, 6,000 square foot home with city views in a great school district on sale or, or, or post it for sale on, on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, Tyler Boyd responded to it. Um, and and I, I think that obviously he's rubbing people the wrong way right now inside that locker room. So uh, point of no return, right? I, I think that's, uh, that's pretty clear right now. It seems like we're past that point of no return you kind of use the words getting to i think that's putting it kindly i think that the bridge is pretty well burned like they could fire lou anarumo today hire marvin lewis to be defensive coordinator <laughs> and I, I don't think that would be enough 
for Carlos Dunlap. Hire Mike Zimmer's defensive corner. Don't think it would be enough. I think that it's just the relationship at this point is fractured. I think that he has lost the coach's trust. He obviously doesn't believe in what the coaches are doing. He obviously believes that he should be on the field more, which, hey, that could be true. He's not really getting opportunities to to show that he can do what it is that he was very good at last season as this defense continues to evolve. And they could use a pass rusher. This is something that immediately becomes a long-term need for this team because Carlos Dunlap was never going to be around for that long, but you expected to have him playing like better than average football this year, given what we saw from him last year. And they had him for, for another year on the deal. And so now that immediately becomes a much more pressing need that the requirement to keep Carl Lawson is magnified. Sam Hubbard needing to take a step up or them finding another defensive end pass rusher in the draft in free agency becomes magnified. Geno Atkins, by the way, also played only 12 snaps. They were only on the field together, I think, in pass rushing situations. And when you're only on the field and, and at the end of the game, Luana Rumo put three-man lines out there. He was, he was <laughs> rushing with Dunlap, Atkins, and Lawson, and then he was bringing blitzers from between Logan Wilson and Akeem, Akeem Davis-Gaither, but that's not really a very good chance to generate pressure in that situation anyway. It didn't work. They didn't get to, to Mayfield, although they did almost get to him on a corner blitz. Uh, Mackenzie Alexander could have had a sack. That would have made a huge difference in the game, by the way. But we, we started by talking about Carlos Dunlap and the way he's being used. It, it's just... It's striking to me. I think both sides have a have a bone to pick with the other. The coach is certainly rightfully upset that Dunlap is is treating this as publicly as he is. And Dunlap, I think, rightfully upset that his role has changed and that he's not getting on the field when for so much of the last 10 years, he's been the best or second best player on this defense during his tenure in Cincinnati. So I, I get his frustration. I, I also get... The team's frustration, I don't think he's handling it the right way. I think the bridge is burned, and I just hope at this point from a franchise point of view that they can recoup something for Carlos Dunlap. And that needs to be the goal now. It, it can't be release him for nothing. It's got to be let's get something for him. And when he posts those things, you know, the, the Instagram post on Saturday, the tweet, that hurts the negotiation process because if I'm the team and I'm like, they might release him anyway and or Seattle. So we're a contender and we think we can get Dunlap. So we'll put a bug in his agency here or, you know, whoever. So to me, yeah, I think a seventh, a sixth, you know, if it comes, if it's between that or just releasing him, I want something in return. And I think he's the one piece, I, you know, where you're not going to have to do any kind of conditional seventh or sixth right like if they move ross that's exactly what it'll be it's based on playing time and all that stuff maybe it turns into a six or something like that but dunlap i mean god coming into the year and this part is on the organization i think a bit you got to have the foresight and this coaching staff should have had the foresight i remember they lou anarumo said that they were going to have atkins and dunlap on a snap count to begin the year and that was just to preserve them well, look at what they've done. I, what information did you get in weeks one and two that you didn't already have? I'm, I'm betting that this staff had its doubts about Dunlap 
And if that's the case, then they should have considered moving him. And I get it's not the staff's call, but you need to be on the same page as the front office. They should have looked into moving him this past offseason. you got to have the foresight. That's such a huge, important thing here in the NFL, right? If you're going to have sustained sustain success, you got to do that. And clearly, they've been on different pages. Dunlap and the coaching staff. Well, I don't think that just happened this year. I think that was last year. And, and for some reason, they ignored it and thought it was going to work, and it clearly hasn't. So I, I agree. Get, get whatever you can for him before that November 3rd trade deadline. But to me, the requirement is getting something because you can't end up with nothing for a guy who's been as good as he has and was arguably coming into this year, outside of maybe Reader who hadn't played for the Bengals, arguably your best defensive player. Yeah, it's, it's a tough situation. The only reason that I can see the Bengals not trading him is if they believe they have a conduct detrimental to the team case and want to get out of guarantees. I don't think that that is an avenue that they should explore because that often doesn't work for NFL teams. We saw it not work with the Ravens and Earl Thomas. So I could hypothetically see them trying to get out of some dead money, trying to get out of some guarantees. But I think more important to that is is the future of the franchise and, and you just you eat the dead hit that you might have to take and find a way to recoup some sort of draft pick right? Because we want them to make Mm -hmm. trades on the other side. Getting Quentin Spain in the building seems like a great move from a pass protection, from a depth perspective, whatever you want to call it. But we want them to try to buy long-term if there's opportunities to do so and sell the short-term assets. And that's going to mean an exchange of picks one way or another. And, And this would be one step toward doing that. But let's talk about the rest of this defense because it wasn't just Carlos Dunlap who, who had a tough day today. Really, it's the entire secondary. Maybe excusing Mackenzie Alexander, who, who was a little bit better. Uh, Darius Phillips had an interception, but outside of that, had a pretty tough day. Got picked on on that last drive of the game after uh, Baker Mayfield got going. The, the safety play, Von Bell was left in man coverage many too many times, twice resulting in touchdowns. One of those was really good coverage from him in his defense but just not quite good enough on a great throw from Baker Mayfield. And and the, the bigger concern is a lack of pass rush and that contribution to the downfall of this Bengals passing defense, which I, I thought the secondary was going to be pretty solid coming into the year. Obviously, they were down Trey Waynes and William Jackson in this game. But when you have literally no pressure, or maybe you get a couple blitzes in there that get a little bit of a hurry on Baker – any NFL quarterback, given that much time, is going to f- be able to pick guys apart. If he's that comfortable, he's going to pick mm-hmm. you apart. And and that's what happened. For the second straight time, I thought maybe they could make him a drop-back passer after he started 0-5 for 5 with a pick. But then Stefanski comes out in the second half in play action with boots. And in a game when the Bengals actually played the run pretty well. Kareem Hunt had some big runs, but they all he also had some really negative runs, and they made some tackles for a loss. It, it just didn't come together in, in the passing defense at all. Nothing worked in passing defense the entire game. It's embarrassing, Jake, is what it is. Because you had two quarterbacks that were on the ropes. Phillip Rivers, there was a lot of doubt about him in Indianapolis. And he shredded you down 21, just up, completely embarrassed you. And then a week later, when you're hoping Geno's might, might be a little more healthy, where you're hoping that you've learned from your mistakes. You have the lead five times, 
and Baker starts 0 for 5, and he throws a duck to Darius Phillips. He puts it out on a platter. Phillips was there, fine. Beckham still had a step. If you put it on, if you put it up higher and farther downfield, that might be six. But it was an awful throw, and the Bengals take advantage. Outside of that, what resistance was there? What did they do? And you're right. The past couple of weeks, it's it's almost been the same theme. Can they stop the run? Can they? You know, keep Jonathan Taylor in check. Can they keep Kareem Hunt in check? Well, they did for the most part. But the problem is Baker Mayfield, after going 0 for 5, completed every single one of his passes but a spike. That is inexcusable. There, There's a pressure of an entire fan base on him. I went on multiple Cleveland shows this week, and what was I asked? Oh, what do you think about Baker? You think he's a franchise passer? That's the that's the talk, and that was the talk leading into this game. And he started 0 for 5 with an interception. CBS Sports and a bunch of people were tweeting, oh, Baker's only completion so far through a quarter is to Darius Phillips. And Lou Anarumo in this defense, and it's both, it's coaching and it's talent, didn't get it done. I'm not saying you're going to keep hold him to 0 for 20, right? But you can't give up five touchdowns and let him throw for 300 yards and not throw an incompletion and not touch him. I mean, outside of the first down play, the first of the uh, first play of that final drive where he got hit, I don't remember Baker really even getting hit. And it's just that that cannot happen because if that happens, we're going to spend all week talking about Derrick Henry next week and how they need to try to slow him down and how great he is. And then Ryan Tannehill is going to throw for 500 yards and eight touchdowns. Because he's better than Baker and he's better than Philip Rivers and he's playing at a much higher level, so it's uh, it, it's embarrassing and they're going to have to take a look in the mirror and there's injuries and there's reasons behind it, but whatever it is, they got to get it fixed because that cannot continue. That's ridiculous. Like no NFL defense should look like that, and uh, especially with the way the offensive play, the offense played. I mean they answered every single time. It wasn't like last week where they got off to a hot start and didn't answer the haymaker. They answered. They scored on every single one of their second half possessions. That should have been enough. And it wasn't. And it's on the defense. They had a couple of kicks today. They had a couple turnovers. But Kevin Huber didn't do anything today. And when Kevin Huber doesn't do anything in a football game and, and you score 34 points, you should win the game. And I'm mm-hmm. eager to see how this team responds and how accountability will be enforced. That's going to do it for this episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. We'll be back tomorrow with some time to digest. We'll see what, if anything, happens with Carlos Dunlap in the immediate future. What, if anything, happens in the press conferences after this team has a chance to take a look at the tape. Until then, Bengals fans, have a good one. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. 
They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.